Hi everyone, welcome to the Two Cents Footy Podcast with me, Jeff, and JP. JP, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. I'm glad it's um, coming towards the end of the week and looking forward to the weekend. I'm probably a bit controversial for a footy podcast, but I'm looking forward to watching the rugby this weekend. <laughs> but um, I'm well, thank you, Jeff. How are you? Awesome. Yeah, good. Slightly tanned from um, a trip to Split in Croatia. And uh, yeah, I've kind of... Yeah, feeling the effects of the wind, rain, but yeah, I cannot wait for the rugby. So, uh, yeah, I'm agreeing with you on the controversy. I was going to say you're looking very, um, very golden this week, Jack. <laughs> very bronzed up, bronzed uh, golden balls. Yeah, <laughs> that was the David Beckham reference. Oh, have you, awesome. have you watched any of that um, documentary yet? The whole series. Yeah, I binged it on the plane. Have you? Yep. Yeah, I'm the same as you, binged it over a couple of days, <laughs> but um, brings back a lot of nostalgia of um, growing up and Beckham being your the football icon, so uh, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, same, it brought back memories of all the haircuts and hairstyles to go from skinhead to mohawk to dreadlocks to kind of 90s kid, yeah, big throwback. Just, just remember, I think most summers, especially major tournaments, Whatever haircut he had, every soccer fan or football fan had this wanted to have the same haircut. Um, so yeah, definitely brought all of back those memories. Did you ever emulate one of Beckham's haircuts at one point? Um, I didn't. I wanted to, but I never did in the end. I think because I'm a I'm a brunette, <laughs> so um, yeah, I think you know you you probably toy with bleaching your hair or whatever it's blonde, blonde but I mean I don't have the the knackers to do that <laughs> awesome yeah Beckham documentary is incredible okay um great so on the two cents footy podcast we're going to be well it's international break so we're going to be doing a little bit of a look at our international squad um as well as the Euro 2028 reaction, so how kind of UK is, is getting the tournament. Deep dive on Jude Bellingham, and uh, yeah, it's got to be a look at Arsenal City, the title race. So yeah, Arsenal City, what an uh, unbelievable match. Uh, it was, there was a point between the two as we went into the game, and it could even be already kind of a title favourites match. It was 3-1 in the reverse fixture last year. Uh, Man City at the time had played 12 and uh, won all 12. And uh, Bukayo Saka was injured. Jorginho and Trossard were back in the team. And uh, Kovacic. So, yeah, I mean, do you see this as a as a momentous uh, occasion for Arsenal? Have they solidified their defence? Um, and are Man City uh, already at risk with the injuries and suspensions that they have? Yeah, it was. I definitely thought this was going to be a big game and quite intriguing before it started. In terms of, I didn't really know what way it was going to go. I mean, I guess gone naturally, you think Man City are going to probably do it, but they've had a couple of ropey games beforehand. Um, but no, I thought that was a real big result for Arsenal. It probably just shows actually, you know, they're going to be there or thereabouts again this season. I think they've got a great squad. I mean, my overall take from the game, it was. I mean, it wasn't really a huge spectacle in terms of entertainment. I found it quite a scrappy affair. 
the defences were essentially on top all game. Both teams weren't really sort of attacking with a tent um, intent. Um, so, yeah, and then Martinelli got that sort of stroke of luck for Arsenal and they came away with a with a one nil result, which is brilliant for Arsenal. Um, and was that three games on the bounce for City now that they've come away with a negative result, or at least three within the last couple of few uh, few games or so? So, yeah, I think it's probably encouragement for the rest of the Premier League. And and as we were saying last week, how is the likes of De Bruyne and Rodri being out affecting the team? It's it's obviously having a huge effect. Um, so, yeah, big, big um, result for Arsenal. Yeah, the supply lines into Haaland have seemed to, seemed to have been severed. You could see that there was a lack of width. And even bringing on Doku barely changed things. There was quite a huge amount of discipline between Saliba and Gabriel. Big maturity improvement. Um. You know, in terms of your view, to what extent do you think is this a bigger result for Arsenal versus a bigger loss for City, or do you think it could spur City on to to recover and push back? I mean, what I would say is City just they just have the squad, don't they? If anyone is going to win ten games on the bounce, it's going to be Man City. So, I mean, I'm not saying they don't have a, they're not they don't have a chance. There's still a long, long way to go in the season. Um, I think what it, it probably does for Arsenal is it almost sort of gives them that confidence within the squad to be like, actually, we can beat we can beat the best team in the league, which is Man City. And it probably just gives them that confidence that actually, it's probably their time to 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 win something. Um, it's been a bit of a a long term project for Michael Mikel Arteta. I think from memory, I heard someone say that was his first win over Pep I think so yeah. I think even for him as a manager that was um, a really big result and again for him that will just sort of solidify actually what he's doing as a project it's working they're now starting to see results in terms of the real big games um, and I think sort of the signings of Declan Rice yeah it, it just real really helps them in, in situations like that so yeah massive yeah first win in the Premier League but yeah there was also the Community Shield on penalties yeah I know what you mean very tight match with only three shots on target what did you think about um, Kovacic do you think he got lucky uh, to stay on oh yeah and we're, yeah another sort of bit of spiel on the, on the refs but very very lucky to be on the yeah. pitch um, I think to be honest, I thought the first challenge was a red. Yeah. Um, 100%. And talking about VAR again and why they haven't asked Michael Oliver to go to the monitor to review that. And I think the the answer that we've got is it wasn't clear and obvious enough. It's like, well, the guy's just gone into Declan Rice's ankle. Um, so it's like, if that's not an ankle breaker, I don't know what is. And so... Yeah, there's. I think the whole VAR thing at the moment is just it's under the spotlight, and they're just not getting it right. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think the officials something needs to happen because it's just they're missing things like that and things that need to be picked up. Um, so for me, that was a red card, and 
he got let off again a second time when he got booked the first time, then went in again on Declan Rice and caught him. And how on earth he's escaped a, a second yellow, it just, my mind boggles. I mean, I just don't know what to think anymore about the officiating. And you've then got the likes of Mike Dean and Paul Merce on Sky Sports having a, having a row. And I, I just don't agree with what Mike Dean's saying around how they can't um, stop pause the, game, the game, pause the game and come back and all that, all that rubbish. It's just, they just don't know what they're doing. They're making things up as they go along. There's just no consistency across the board. And I know this is only our second week to talk about refs, but it's such a boring thing to have to talk about when all you want to talk about is Arsenal Man City, which is a huge spectacle, uh, you know, two biggest teams in the league at the moment. So it's just a real shame, I think, for, for football across the board, to be honest. Yeah, that was uh, that was hilarious to see Merce just blow up from five to a million in the course of five seconds. Like, you, what are you talking about? The, you're so scared of breaking the law. You've never played the game. <laughs> and Merce was going lobster-coloured by the end of that segment with Mike Dean. Yeah, I mean, I feel I, I do after my after speaking about the officials most weeks these days as well. It's just... Oh, it's just <laughs> and uh, do you think David Rea... Uh, got lucky not to concede. <laughs> yeah, I think he had a very shaky first half, and yeah, like you say, very lucky not to concede. Um, what the Arsenal attacker came through on goal with? Sorry, not the Arsenal attacker. The Man City attacker came through in yeah, Alvarez on goal. Alvarez with uh, Ray with the ball. Alvarez tries to pick the pass, and Alvarez nicks it. And luckily enough for him, goes into the side netting for Raya. Um, and then sort of pulled it together a little bit in the second half. But I don't know, when, if you're Ramsdale sitting on the bench, you're kind of like, you know, why am I sitting on the bench? Yeah, <laughs> I thought chomping was, at the bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I thought Ray was coming in because he's going to be good with the ball at his feet. <laughs> but um, no, I think, yeah, a couple of shaky moments for Ray. But I mean, he looked a bit more solid in the in the second half. Absolutely, yeah. Rhea is unbelievably lucky. But yeah, a cracking win for Arsenal in the grand scheme with, um, despite the low amount of total shots on target, Martinelli was in acres of space uh, with a really lucky deflection and a very, very happy Mikel Arteta uh, and a slightly perturbed Pep. So yeah, it's a really tantalising title race already. Um, only what we seven or eight weeks in yeah. time flies when you're having fun <laughs> yeah and it pauses when the international break comes <laughs> that is a good segue jp mate yeah so we're on to the international break uh england are playing australia in a friendly and then italy uh, in the euro qualifiers um so we've got Stones back, Maguire, Phillips and Henderson clinging on like barnacles, like limpets to barnacles in a hurricane storm in the south coast. Um, and then we've got call-ups for Eddie Nketiah and Levi Cole, Colliwell. Unfortunately from Southampton, so that's already a markdown for both of us. No Ward-Prowse and Sterling, as well as Mason Mount. 
So yeah, mate, what do you make of the uh, England squad to face uh, Australia and Italy? Um, I mean, I guess it's no real surprise um, based on Southgate's last few selections. Still, I mean, I'm personally still quite disappointed that, you know, Calvin Phillips, Harry Maguire, yep. and I hate to say it with Jordan Henderson, but Jordan Henderson, why they're still getting picked. Um, I've got a few sort of stats along lines for Phillips and Maguire. So Phillips has had three appearances in the Premier League this season, all three off the bench. And so I think he's had 167 minutes this season, 70 minutes for the Premier League, seven minutes in the Champions League. 90 minutes in the FL Cup. You've then got Harry Maguire, 206 minutes this season, 116 with the Premier League, nothing in the Champions League, 90 minutes in the EFL Cup. It's like, how are they getting getting picked? And then you've got James Ward-Prowse for, for West Ham, and I've got his goal involvements here. So he's had seven games, two goals, five assists. Um, and so <laughs> when you've got... Calvin Phillips, and I know they're slightly different players, but you've got Calvin Phillips being picked for a midfield and James Ward-Prowse, who's got those figures. You do wonder how he's not get, how he's not getting a look in. And another, I guess another thing is, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold in there under the midfielders, but he doesn't play there for Liverpool. <laughs> for Liverpool. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of reeks of Southgate favourites and not really sort of based on form. Um, I think the one the one player I do agree with in the squad this time round is Ollie Watkins. Yep. He's had a blinder, and actually also Jared Barron. Jared um, Bowen. Jared Bowen, sorry. Um, so Watkins has played eight, four goals, four assists. I mean, I know three came last week against Brighton, which <laughs> John won't be isn't too happy about. But there's some good stats, and also Bowen. <laughs> After eight games, five goals, one assist. Um, so they've both been recalled. So I'm happy about those two, to be fair. I think, yeah, it's just the other three. It's like, come on. I think, you know, you need to start, you need to start looking at players that are playing regular football and are in form. But um, yeah, that's just sort of my take. I guess the only thing that I kind of also picked up on is with Trent's or being put in the midfield and looking at our midfielders in there, we've mm. got Trent, Henderson, Phillips, three players. Well, one doesn't play in midfield for his club, although he's had a couple of decent games for England. Henderson and Phillips, one's playing in the Saudi League, one isn't playing. And then you've got Gallagher, Rice and Jude, who are the three midfielders that actually play for their clubs. So... I guess there's a question: Are we should we be worried about our sort of midfield in terms of our resources in there? Good point. Yeah, we've got a lot of potential youth. We could be overusing stale resources. Not to talk about Henderson uh, or Phillips like that. But as you said, if they're not playing at the top of their game, what's the point? Although Australia is quite weak opposition. Uh, was yeah, it England? I mean, you'd think, yep. think Australia would be a great opposition to try out some of these players. I mean, Ward Prowse. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's a perfect opportunity. I mean, I know Italy's a bit stronger, but yeah, it's just, you know, we've got less than a year to the Euros where we're probably going to be considered one of the favourites to win it. 
like, come on, start, let's start getting our squad going. Some of our more informed players sort of involved, involved with the team. But, you know, I mean, you say that, I mean, Southgate so far has done nothing wrong really for England. So <laughs> it's, I guess you can't really argue at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I still feel sting, stung from when we were all in France, seeing England lose 2-1. Uh, I still have nightmares about that penalty <laughs> in the World Cup. That is just we love Harry Kane a bit, but never felt more pain in watching a football match since perhaps the Ronaldinho 2002 against David Seaman and the free kick. Yeah, it didn't help that we were we were in Paris at the time. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> nope, I still have like you PTSD. Um. <laughs> I mean, the flip side is, are we not maybe wanting to get experienced players to train up folks like, you know, who are more new, like, um, like Holwell, um, Gwehi, if that's how you say it, or yeah, even Jude? I mean, there definitely is a point around having the right, I guess, dressing room in terms of having players that have been there and done that. And to be fair to Maguire he has done that um and that's something he does have in his locker in terms of he's been part of a or he's experienced a successful period with england and he's been to those world cups where we've cut to the semi-final euro final and um world cup where was was it quarters um for us against france um yeah so he's been part of that so there is an element to that um but then I mean, you've got the likes of Harry Kane, Bakayu Saka, Rashford. Um, oh yeah, Saka's out for this one, but he'll generally be in the England squad, where they've all been. Declan Rice, although they're young, they've all been part of that group as well. So they do. There's a, a lot of players in there that do have that tournament experience. I think. Um, but yeah, I think. With Maguire and Phillips, the problem is it's just it's been going on for too long. You know, I think I saw a stat with Phillips. He's only played like fifteen appearances for Man City in eighteen months. It's like he how how that gets you in into an England squad, which should be for the best of the best, essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, for the sake of a couple of players, I think experience I don't think matters too much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you you are wondering if this is a, certainly a, a almost an act of self sabotage with uh, such a great run in with almost Galacticos with with Jude and Kane. But yeah, it's ugh, we'll have to see. As you said, Southgate has done not a huge amount wrong in raising the culture and the profile of the team. But yeah, you are terrified when folks like, for me, uh, Hendo's still getting in. And the Saudi League is just as competitive as the Johnson's Paint Trophy. <laughs> yeah, the Ryman's National League. That's right, the, what was it, the, what was it, the Derrily Dunkables side project league. <laughs> Something like that. We don't endorse that, by the way, but just uh, if they did, we would imagine it'd be quite low down. And uh, yeah, a good segue, JP, into Euro 2028. So if you've not heard, we've been living under a rock for the last week. 
you would have heard that um, the joint bid for Euro 2028 was unopposed. Turkey had pulled out in order to join Italy for the 2032 bid. The Republic of Ireland, the Northern Ireland and Wales have never before hosted uh, a major tournament before. Um, with multiple new venues um, now available or hoping to be available with the Everton Stadium going to be constructed. There's going to be um, a play in Belfast in the Casement Park. Um, but yeah, JP, what do you think uh, would happen? I mean, do you, do you expect any risk of violence as to what happened in the 2020 Euros? Uh, what's your initial thoughts on, on this bid be- yeah. being successful? I mean, initially, yeah, quite excited that we get to host a, a major competition. I mean, I know we had some games as part of the 2024 Euros, but that was a, a Euro-wide competition. So we didn't solely have that the whole tournament as a, as a country or within the UK and, and Ireland. So yeah. on that basis, yeah, really excited. I think 2024 almost gave us a bit of a taste of in terms of what hosting a major competition would be like. Um, so initially very, very excited. Very interested around the stadiums, actually, in terms of the stadium list. So we've got Wembley, yep. Spurs, Etihad, Everton, St James's Park, Villa Park, Hampden Park in Scotland, Aviva Stadium in Ireland, and Casement Park, also Ireland. And actually, is there a Wales. bit of contra- um, sorry, <laughs> in Wales. I forget that. <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess, is there a bit of controversy in there in terms of the likes of Anfield and Old Trafford not being put into selection for this? Or actually, is it quite good to be, to be seeing new and different stadiums included? Uh, yeah, I looked at it. Geographically, there's only two in London. So you mentioned Wembley and Spurs. I suppose this is quite a new stadium. Wembley's obviously the, the national one, pretty much for England. So it seemed very well geographically spread. I get your point why is most of the iconic North and in fact bigger London, other London stadiums, not included like the Emirates, it would distribute it to a new audience. So um, the, the idea it's in Dublin is also a big plus, Belfast as well. Cardiff have never, even though they've, you know, Gareth Bale, when he's not on the golf course, was immense for Wales. <laughs> and you've got to hope that could inspire a new generation. But yeah, I mean, what do you, yeah, I, I don't know what you think. Like, do you think Old Trafford should at least be on there? I mean, Man United has got this incredible brand reputation. The Beckham documentary must solidify that. Yeah, I mean, obviously Anfield and Old Trafford are, are huge sort of stadiums within within England, but I actually quite like that it's a bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's good to see the likes of Everton, Villa Park, you know, St James's Park, although it's Newcastle. You know, it's it's good to see Hampton Park in there. I think it's good. It's good to see a bit of difference. You know, I think we've grown up where typically Old Trafford, Anfield they're normally sort of included within that list. And so, yeah, I'm all for, you know, changing it up a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I think the other interesting point around the Euros 28 that I've heard is that 
only two of the home nations will qualify automatically. Yeah. And so England's come out saying they won't, they're happy to, I guess, almost qualify. But in terms of the home countries, who do you think are the two nations that probably need the automatic qualification? Northern Ireland and what's a toss up? Scotland? No, Scotland has actually got some good. I'm thinking of Robertson and McTominay. They'll still be around, you think, yeah. maybe. Both Ireland, Irish. Yeah, because Scotland are having a very good um, Euro, Euro qualifiers at the moment, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Northern Ireland would probably be one for automatics. I mean, I, Republic of Ireland haven't had a great qualification thing either. So, I mean, it's hard because you. I mean, all four of those teams would probably want automatic qualification, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> but you can just imagine England not getting it, and you know, you can just imagine the worst, the worst possible scenario happening. Yeah, conspiracy theory. It, you know, you'd think Southgate would be gone by then. Could it be Sir Eddie Howe after? Winning the Champions League with Newcastle, your the next Wally with the Broly, <laughs> your utopian scenario. What's game theory one? Uh, I know what you mean. It could be a nightmare scenario, but then the youth players still coming in, like Jude's only twenty. He would be twenty five by then, so that, you'd think that'd be a prime. Um, I've noticed also there's no stadiums on the south coast actually in the. Uh, in, yeah, in the tournament did, in England, I did think that. I was thinking, what stadium could they possibly use? I mean, I'm guessing it's probably the Amex, Amex. The South Coast as the as the main stadium. Um, Selhurst, St Mary's, or uh, Fratton Park, or yeah, I mean, Bovril. Selhurst is is a dump, so we'll leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch Selhurst with a barge pole. <laughs> I'm geographically close to it with a barge pole. <laughs> but uh, no, Amex, I think, probably should be in there. But then you've got to take away yeah, another one from the lineup, which is already quite well geographically spread. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think, on the whole, um, when you're sort of a kid, sort of having a for your country to host a major tournament is all you kind of really want. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's been a long time coming, I think, for, for the UK as a whole. And I think the one we really, really need is the World Cup as well. <laughs> yeah. You'd hope. Yeah, this could be a, you know, spur the um, UEFA, FIFA, FIFA, of course, Gianni Infantino um, to press again. But uh, it seems it could be possibly prone to corruption that's uh, my own personal liability for saying that no I'm, I'm with you with that i i personally still think there's corruption involved in in those organizations so no i'm with you i agree <laughs> <laughs> and yeah a nice segue into jude so in 2028 he will likely be there with you know folks like foden Eze, rico lewis and uh, he's had what could only be described as an incredible start at Real Madrid for Ancelotti with, you know, Ancelotti's described him as having no fixed position. When I saw him against Osasuna 
uh, on the previous weekend. Uh, just unbelievable control, patience, uh, just to, you know, in his first goal, lift it over the goalkeeper. In his second goal, did a very neat one-two, I think, with Vinicius. And then through the legs of the goalkeeper. So he just seems to be playing with a unbelievable flair and confidence. Um, do you think, though, he's near his peak? Yeah, so good question, because he is playing with an unbelievable amount of confidence at the moment. I think everything he touches at the moment is turning to gold. Uh, for yeah, for Real Madrid, he seems to be playing in that more advanced role in, in front of sort of a Modric, Cruz, Camavinga, and he's linking with the likes of Vinny J, Rodrigo, <laughs> Uh, Yossalu really, really well. I even, I mean, I th- he's almost a complete midfielder, I think, for me. And I think Ancelotti's right. Yep. He doesn't have a fixed, a fixed position because he can track back, he can tackle, he's tall, he can run with the ball. But also, there was, I forgot what game it, it, who he was playing against, but he almost made like a Lampard esque run into the box and scored as well. It's like he's kind of got everything at the age of 20, which is just, crazy and yeah I mean the stat to to go on uh, for Jude at the moment is he's broken Cristiano Ronaldo's records yeah. for goal involvements within 10 games which is just crazy for a central midfielder and you think about the legends that Real Madrid have had up front in terms of your Brazilian Ronaldo's Raul uh Figo's Gareth Bale's and his numbers are better after 10 games as a centre midfield. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, so he's had an absolutely blistering start. I mean, I, I don't think he's at his peak. I think he is one of the, he's an absolutely unbelievable talent. And he he's just going to... I'm convinced he's going to win sort of Ballon d'Ors um, and be sort of best players in the world. I think he's just absolutely incredible um but he's not happy- peaked yeah i don't think he's peaked i mean <laughs> i think he he's going to become a real sort of legend of the game to be honest mm-hmm. um and he's a player that england are going to have to build their team around because he is just already world class mm. um i was doing a bit of research into jews and sort of how he's come to i guess how he's now come to the biggest club in the world and so he started off at Birmingham City and got his professional debut at 16. Mm. And at the age of 16, he made 41 appearances for, for Birmingham, which is a crazy stat for a 16-year-old and to be given that amount of responsibility and to play a, essentially a full, a full schedule of championship football with, you know, in the championship, it's big blokes, it's physical, it's competitive and Birmingham have given them responsibility to play 41 games. He's then had a transfer to Borussia Dortmund, and he's yep. played there for three seasons or so, getting 92 appearances. And within that, he's obviously had the likes of Champions League experience. And I remember a couple of great games he had against Man City, and he was obviously playing with the likes of, of um, Erling Haaland and, and Jane Sancho. Mm. And it's just... An absolutely incredible timeline. It hasn't, t- you know, four years ago he was playing for Birmingham City. He's now at Real Madrid at the age of 20, absolutely living it up. 
and he's just an absolute world beater. So it's just an absolutely incredible story, and I just think he's a he's an incredible talent. I I generally think he's going to be an absolute force. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're right. The stats back up what he's what you're saying. So the youngest three lion. Uh, to compete at a major tournament with the nickname now El Jefe, which I'm very <laughs> irate about perhaps losing. It's only one El Jefe. Um, they retired. Now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they retired um, his shirt when he left Birmingham. But yeah, I don't know. You just wonder could that be a peak too soon? Could it be a Walcott situation? Could it be. Um, you know, could the glitz of fame perhaps throw him off course? But then, yeah, um, yeah just wonder what could happen. Yeah, I think those kind of external factors, they can definitely play a part. I mean, you, you kind of, Beckham's documentary, you kind of see all those things and yeah. it takes a lot for a player to be two-footed, or not two-footed, but to have their feet on the ground. And but I think the way the way Jude speaks within press conferences, very mature for his age. Yeah. And I think his purpose and his drive is just there. I've got got a couple of quotes from him in terms of that he wants to change the game and he wants to win everything with club and country. Mm. And I think the way he just sort of brings himself to the media, he I know he's got a very mature head on him. I I honestly think he's not going to be a Fia Walcott. And, and sort of fizzle out. I think there's just too much talent there and he's just got a su- such good head on him for a young age. I just think he's going to go places. Yeah, very mature for 20. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, already 26 caps for England at 20 when folks like Lampard had not started yet. They got their debut at 21. That's just absolutely crazy, isn't it? Just absolutely crazy. So, well, I hope it could push us over the top next year. Yeah, never know. And, yeah, twenty twenty eight. He's going to be twenty four. So, God, he's going to still going to be so young, but sort of, sort of around like his prime kind of age. So, yeah, that'll be a that'll be really fun to to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Most, you know, advanced midfielder in front of that diamond, learning from VV Vinicius. <laughs> uh, yeah, I cannot wait to see how he does um, against Australia and Italy. Great. All right. Um, we're there for this week. Um, so we're going to be next time doing our reaction to um, the England matches against uh, Australia and Italy. And looking deeper into Harry Kane's background and current stats at Bayern, uh, as well as anything else we can think of using our creative imagination. (laughs) Do a bit of brainstorming, (laughs) AJ. Get the old noggin back in gear with a few BCAAs and a little bit of creatine. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have have our other mate join us again. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we can either get him away from the Michelin star restaurants or he's still moping about the two draws and the 6-1 defeat against Villa. <laughs> uh, that'll entice him. <laughs> oh, so it will dig, John. 
Come back. <laughs> All righty. Well, um, have a good weekend watching your favourite sport, the rugby JP. <laughs> Come on, the All Blacks. <laughs> and for me, Marcus Smith uh, for England. And so, England, of course. <laughs> of course, slight, slight correction. We'll, we'll find out why you like New Zealand so much in a future episode. Uh, but yeah, for now, JP, thanks again. Thanks again, mate, for uh, this week. Thank you. Good to see you, Jeff. And as always. Great. All the best. And yeah, have a good weekend. See you soon.